Welcome to Living Proof, the podcast series of the University at Buffalo School of Social Work at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu. We're glad you could join us today. The series Living Proof examines social work research and practice that makes a difference in people's lives. I'm your host, Adjua Robinson, and I'd like to take a moment to address you, our regular listeners. We know you have enjoyed the Living Proof podcast as evidenced by the more than 130,000 downloads to date. Thanks to all of you. We'd like to know what value you may have found in the podcast. We'd like to hear from all of you, practitioners, researchers, students, but especially our listeners who are social work educators. How are you using the podcast in your classrooms? Just go to our website at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu forward slash podcast and click on the Contact Us tab. Again, thanks for listening, and we look forward to hearing from you. Hi from Buffalo. The Robins are back, and spring can't be far away at all. I'm Peter Sabota. In the second episode of this two-part podcast, Dr. Michael Reich continues his discussion of how the past is the present and how master narratives about history have come to frame priorities in social work research and how that research has influenced social work practice and education. Continuing a historical journey he began in part one, Dr. Reich moves on to explore the class-based analysis of society that dominated social work research from the 1930s to the 60s, where gender and race were relegated to low-level status. He describes how the era of McCarthyism and associations drawn to Marxism led social work's research agenda to shy away from proposing alternative research and narratives about the importance of race and gender. Finally, Dr. Reich explains the impacts of scientific positivism and postmodernism over the past 30 years. Dr. Reich concludes his historical review with challenging observations about how the previous master narratives continue to influence the presence via widespread conservatism and social work's attempts to legitimize their professional status through, quote, emulation, end quote, of other professions' quantitative methodologies increased specialization, and evidence-based practice. Provocatively, Dr. Reich posits how social work may be, in contrast to its rhetoric, perpetuating the status quo by framing its research questions based on these unexamined but prevalent historical narratives. He challenges social work by advocating for significant effort in our willingness to pose new questions and question prevailing assumptions by developing alternative narratives and new alliances. Dr. Michael Reich is the Daniel Thurs Distinguished Professor of Social Justice at the University of Maryland. He's held a number of faculty positions, including at the University of Michigan, University of Pennsylvania, San Francisco State University, and SUNY Stony Brook. His appointments include a Fulbright Senior Scholar at the University of Queensland in Australia. Dr. Reich is the author or editor of over 20 books and numerous articles and book chapters. He has lectured widely all over the world. Dr. Michael Reich was interviewed by Dr. Hilary Weaver, professor here at the UB School of Social Work. Dr. Weaver interviewed Dr. Reich by telephone. We'd like to mention that this episode contains some background distortion that is due to technical problems we experienced while recording.
Thanks, and we hope you like the podcast. I think as you have described this era for us, you have given us some really important information about parts of our profession's history that we are often not comfortable acknowledging or examining. For instance, you said that some um, early social workers truly believed that scientific research was neutral. While on the other hand, you note the need for social workers from the dominant culture to use the instruments of scientific research to establish and maintain control over a demographically diverse client population. So I think one of the most important contributions that you have brought forward from this era is your discussion of culturally and racially diverse populations that social workers interacted with at that time. And in fact, our interactions were not neutral. Is there anything else that you would like to, to say about that before we move on and look at some other eras? That's a very good question. And the answer to that has to be somewhat shaded and complex. Let me start back with the 1930s. The dominant historical perspective that influenced this period, particularly that of those social workers interested in social change, was a class-based analysis of society. And a class-based analysis of society, by definition, sort of subordinates the issues of gender and race. In fact, if you look at the publications both inside and outside of social work, while there was greater attention to the impact of socioeconomic conditions and policies on African Americans and to a lesser extent Latinos during this period, they are still seen as a subset of an overall class analysis of society, so that the specific issues that affected African Americans were just seen as exacerbations of issues that affected low-income or working-class whites. And I think that there's a difference there. So even while New Deal programs were clearly discriminatory against African Americans and women, there was very little investigation of that and very few voices within the social work field apart from some African-Americans and a few radicals who pointed that out. So I think that's very important. The other is that the profession still was dominated by an assimilationist perspective, which had been applied previously to European immigrants, but was now applied to women and people of color. So if they were going to make it in society or even within the social work profession, they had to adapt the values, beliefs, behaviors of the dominant culture. So I think that that existed. The one time in this period that you begin to see an opening in that was during the Second World War and perhaps just immediately after it, you begin to see a growing awareness of the importance of racial equality in the United States and of the differential experience of persons of color in this country. There are some papers given at the National Conference by both white and African-American speakers that address this. The YWCA um, and other organizations were really attempting to not only fight racial segregation in the South, but also other features of institutional discrimination. And there were some social workers, particularly more radical social workers, who were pushing for greater efforts to include ending discrimination against persons of color as part of a broader social policy agenda. What undermined this, however, was 
the McCarthy period. So while efforts within the African-American community continued, often below the radar screen, ultimately producing the, the historic judicial decisions of the 1950s and the demonstrations of the 50s and 60s, you know, the, the modern civil rights movement, the social work field largely retreated from this, not only in its advocacy, but also in the kind of research it, it, it conducted. Social workers who advocated for what now seems like such benign, non-discriminatory uh, policies, such as open housing in the late 1940s, were attacked as communists and were blacklisted from schools of social work, social work agencies, national conferences. Some of them weren't allowed to speak. They couldn't get their articles published. So you can imagine what effect that that had on the kind of research questions that were posed. So I think that you cannot, I mean, the more I've done research on that period of history, which that would begin as early as the late 1930s, through the mid-60s and in some ways beyond, you cannot underestimate the effect that that had on how the social work profession and its research agenda evolved. And ironically, you know, you point out the, the contradiction between the important role of women in social work throughout its history, including in the, in the 1930s in the New Deal, many important positions were held by women, and the fact that the profession largely ignored um, the, the, uh, the issues that affected women. And when it looked at them, uh, looked at them through... Uh, lenses that clearly, by today's standards, were stereotypical. It's very hard to explain that. Even among people who considered themselves progressives or radicals, they often reflected uh, behaviors and values that we would now view as uh, sexist. I guess they could not overcome the effects of the dominant culture, even within social change-oriented uh, institutions. The 1960s and 70s, a time of, again, great social change. You've got the war on poverty. You've got the great society. You have social work involved in many, many different programs of that era. How would you characterize the social work research going on during that particular time frame? The events that we were just discussing ultimately produced certain different conditions which gave rise to new forms of research. So, for example, the focus on issues of deviance during the post-war decade, particularly issues like juvenile delinquency, um, ultimately led to research on the relationship between poverty and delinquency and to investigations as to why poverty persisted in an era of unprecedented prosperity. Uh, you begin to see outside of the field of social work the emergence of new interpretations of American history. I think, for example, of Richard Hofstadter's work on anti-intellectualism um, and on social Darwinism in American life. Um, and these also inevitably had an influence on the direction of social work research. One notable shift in the social work field was exemplified by the work that uh, Richard Cloud and Lloyd Olin did around uh, delinquency, um, which they explained not in terms of morality or deviant cultures, but in terms of opportunity theory. So the implied emphasis here on the structural barriers to opportunity within American society was a theme that was at the forefront of the development of what became known during the 1970s, uh, 60s and 70s as a revisionist history inside and outside of the historical profession including within social work, which cast the experiences of people of color, women, 
poor people, working class Americans, ultimately gays and lesbians, in a totally different light. Now, what's interesting here is that the new social history appeared concurrently with the civil rights movement and the reforms produced by the war on poverty and great society. They produced greater awareness of the impact of historical forces, such as slavery, immigration, industrialization, uh, in shaping contemporary conditions such as inequality, and whether or not social movements um, emerged and to what extent they were successful. They promoted new areas of research, urban and rural field research, utilizing what we would now call the mixed methods approach. Um, they unearthed the hidden histories of people and communities, used new forms of documentation, and they gave individuals and groups at the grassroots level a more active voice in defining their circumstances. You begin to see the emergence of what we would now call uh, participatory action research. And this led to a split, not only ideologically in society, but also within the field between more traditional academic researchers and community activists engaged in action research. At the same time, changing historical and contemporary circumstances altered society's view of uh, things like childhood um, because, as evidence became increasingly clear, not all children in the United States shared a common experience. The high proportion of children in poverty, for example, which was a reflection of the increased polarization of income and wealth. Um, so this began to challenge some of the research and practice that was based upon this idea of common human needs. I mean, even um, to go off on a slight tangent here, even uh, models of practice, the life model, the ecological perspective, uh, which emphasize the importance of different cultures and diversity, do so, and this is a quote from one of these books, to improve the level of fit between people and their environments, especially between human needs and environmental resources. So what that did was it inadvertently focused social work research and ultimately practice on the adaptation of people to their environments based on the assumption that the work of transforming the structural features of the environment will be addressed by people outside of social work. Now, to pick up on the theme of the civil rights movement, which ultimately spawned, as you know, other movements, the contemporary feminist movement, the gay rights movement, the welfare rights movement, and so forth. So during the 1970s, Influenced by the growth of these identity-based social movements, the, the new social history, as it became called, um, really expanded. It spurred greater research within social work on the specific economic, social, and psychological conditions that affected women and racial and ethnic minorities. So one thing was that the underlying political and ideological dimensions of this research led to a focus on the sources, symptoms, and solutions to oppression and the origins, nature, and outcome of social movements and social justice struggles. These were terms that were not used until this period and questions which, that were not investigated. On the other hand, uh, researchers with their feet in the family service uh, camp, so to speak, began to emphasize in their investigations, also influenced by social history, which looked at the experience of ordinary people, 
they began to investigate features of everyday life and the experiences of ordinary people. So you begin to see studies about work, about marriage, about divorce, and so forth, um, and what the implications were for practice. And on another vein, um, the role of the women's movement uh, produced a gendered approach to history, which opened up whole new intellectual horizons by exploring the role of patriarchy in society and the impact of power, language, and other structures of domination. And ultimately, these developments were linked uh, by the impact of postmodernism in the last 30 years and its rejection of grand historical narratives. Oh, postmodernism stimulated the emergence of critical race theory, neo-feminist theory, and queer theory, each of which, to varying extents, have influenced the direction of inquiry in social work for the last 30 years. So I think you've painted a very clear picture of this era where there's so many different social influences coming in, where the gendered history really leads us to look at, at different areas, different issues. As we move beyond the 60s and 70s, we get into quite a different political era. As we move into the Reagan and Bush years, the 1980s, the 1990s, how did things change in terms of social work research? Okay, well, again, to put that question in the broader context of you know, what was happening in the field of research and history, historical research, particularly in general, by the election of Ronald Reagan in the early 1980s, both inside and outside the academy, the field of social history had fallen into disarray and, to some extent, was discredited, or I should say not discredited, but attacked for several reasons. One was that the very kind of research that it had stimulated, identity-oriented research, produced divisions, not only within departments of history, but also within schools of social work, that made the, the notion historically of a unified national experience and in terms of practice of a unified practice experience almost impossible to sustain. So the, the very diversity that was a, a promising step in the history of the departments and in schools of social work fragmented individuals and institutions in ways that made it very difficult to focus on a common agenda or a common agreed upon role for research or use of research methodologies. So another reason was that this absence of an image of the whole, whether it was the whole of the historical experience uh, or the whole of the contemporary society or the whole of social work practice, exacerbated trends that had existed for a long time toward increasingly narrow specialization in research and in practice. If you compare, for example, research in the social sciences in the United States to that in um, Western Europe or Latin America, there's huge differences there in terms of um, in Western Europe and Latin America, there's much more of an integrative, synthetic, interdisciplinary approach uh, than uh, and the narrow specialization in research in the United States is not as common. Finally, the conservative climate of the period made social history and the kinds of research that it produced less persuasive and less popular because of the association of this kind of research with historical materialism, 
which is equated, of course, with Marxism or socialism or things like that. It's interesting that the criticisms of the Reagan administration of certain social or revolutionary movements in the 1980s attacked them because they were Marxists, whereas the previous decades had talked about communists or Bolsheviks or Reds. So I don't know if any if many people picked up on the subtlety there, but it was not just attacking people for their political membership or their social goals, but for their interpretation of society and history. So what this did, both inside the social sciences in general and within schools of social work, was to increase evidence on non-historical, even ahistorical research, and that's affected the social work field as well. Another study that I'm doing, which is a, just a small project, is to look at whether schools of social work teach history um, in their curriculum. And this is just a completely subjective anecdotal impression, is that over the last 10, 20, 30 years that the amount of attention paid to history within schools of social work has declined significantly. Now, in the 80s and 90s, these developments are abetted by the combined impact of economic globalization and the neoliberal intellectual rationales that emerged. By the latter, I'm referring, for example, to Francis Fukuyama's notion of the, the so-called end of history, the whole notion that, you know, liberal democracy and market economies everywhere is the apotheosis of the historical experience and that um, everything else is just going to be tinkering with, within that framework. At the same time, there was also a resurgence of interest in professionalization within social work. As I and other historians of social work have pointed out, in conservative times, the field tends to turn inward and become more concerned with professional status. Now, particularly as it relates to research, one of the consequences of this was that by the end of the 1980s, the, this conservative environment and this professionalizing impulse which emerged within it was reflected in the drive of, within the social work profession to emulate research practices that were embraced by institutions like the National Institutes of Health, which controlled the lion's share of funds and define the hierarchy of academic status. No coincidence that at this time, uh, you see things like the Task Force on Social Work Research emerge. You see the establishment of the Institute for the Advancement of Social Work Research and the Society for Social Work and Research, you know, SWER, and the creation of the so-called St. Louis Group by research-oriented schools of social work. Now, these developments produce several significant consequences in the area of social work research, which continue to be felt today. One is greater emphasis on the role of methodology, especially quantitative methods, in shaping social work research, rather than in looking at the substance, potential uses, or exploring the ideological assumptions of research or of policymakers. Second, heightened specialization, which was an inevitable consequence of this, has led to more fragmented approaches to research and produced scholars of great depth, but rather narrow depth, rather than synthetic breadth. And if you look at the kind of articles that are published in leading journals in the last 20 years, I think that this is reflected. Or papers that are given at SWER conferences, for example. At the same time, the growing uh, significance of intervention research has reflected an implicit acceptance of the structural status quo 
instead of seeking data to challenge it. And these approaches to research have been seamlessly integrated into the profession's master narrative about its current status and also about its history. Final point about this is that you begin to see, even though it's not dominant, the persistent influence of postmodernism, um, particularly in the continuing emphasis on issues of identity and the underscoring of the importance of racial and gender hierarchies and disparities. The existence of postmodern and critical perspectives about history and contemporary issues, while it has illuminated and underscored the importance of issues uh, such as race and gender, have also ironically made it more difficult to create a comprehensive integrative framework that incorporates diverse historical uh, viewpoints and acknowledges the value of diverse research methods. So here we are in the 21st century. The debate over research and social work is currently polarized between proponents on the one hand of a scientific positivist, largely empirically driven so-called objectivity uh, and seemingly relativist and fragmented alternative accounts, not only of the profession's history, but of explanations for the processes of individual and social change, which clearly have implications for the kind of research that we do. So while the former perspective, the positive perspective, dominates the profession, um, there's, they even complain, uh, as a recent book I reviewed uh, states, that um, they bemoan the undue deleterious influence of postmodernism and critical theory. So that's the status uh, as a result of events of the last 20 or 30 years. You've clearly illustrated the impact that the social and the political environment has had on our profession, as well as the type of research that we do. You've talked about that through different eras, and it's clear from your discussion how these past eras are the foundation for where we are today. In that sense, it's rather sad that schools of social work appear to be doing less in terms of teaching about our history because that lessens our understanding of where we are today and where we will go in the future. You've talked a little bit about where we are today, contemporary social work research. I wonder if you'd like to say a little bit more about that and the significant consequences that we feel today as a result of the past forces that you've outlined. Okay, well, obviously the current environment is one of rapid change. Um, we can all list all of the forces that are changing. You know, the, the demography of this country is changing dramatically. The economy is changing in ways in which even policymakers don't have a handle on it. Uh, we're in the midst of economic and environmental crises, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but my opinion, again, it's, it's an opinion, is that the field has not responded particularly effectively to that. I don't think many institutions in society have, but we keep getting wrapped up again because I, I would argue whoever is in the White House that this remains a fairly conservative time, that we keep looking at ways in which our research agenda, our quest to expand knowledge, can legitimize our professional status. And again, this is how we define the research process. What constitutes a researchable question? What are appropriate methodologies? And this occurs in selection of articles by peer-reviewed journals, juried papers at conferences, promotion and tenure decisions, and so forth. And 
I've had the good fortune to be on the faculty of about half a dozen universities, and this trend is not confined to any one particular school. Um, how we interpret data, how we assess the implications of that data, and, and, um, and how we disseminate it. So I think these have had enormous effects on the conceptualization, production, and dissemination of knowledge in social work with major implications for our, the theory and practice. Let me just touch on something again that I said before. There's a growing emphasis in schools of social work and professional journals on intervention research and so-called evidence-based practice. And that often gets equated with the use of increasingly sophisticated quantitative methodologies. And I think there's a dual rationale for that. Partly, it's designed, at least hypothetically, to enhance the quality of social work scholarship. But it's also designed to improve and demonstrate the effectiveness uh, of social work and social work services and the need to strengthen the, the competitive position of, of social workers in an increasingly difficult occupational and academic marketplace. But what, what happens as a result of this is that power and knowledge are synthesized through the discourses that underlie this particular perspective on research. Um, how we construct our understanding of knowledge and research is different if we use positivist methods because such methods takes for granted that practice can and should be based on so-called proven facts that are generated only in certain ways rather than through so-called less rigorous research designs. Now, this affects what we consider to be valid forms of social work practice how we structure our social service agencies, and how we apply the results of social science research to practice and policy. So changes in how the profession constructs the meaning of knowledge, research, and evidence have been introduced to the field over the last 20 years with very little assessment or even reflection on, their, on the effects of this on the longstanding mission of um, social work and on the character of schools of social work and social service agencies and their relationship to the surrounding communities. Um, and it's ironic that this has occurred, although some proponents of this form of research have acknowledged that there's an ill-suited application of physical science methods, which underscore a lot of NIH-oriented research, to the field of social work. Uh, there are fundamental epistemological questions such as what is knowledge, how do we know what we know, does truth equal validity, which only a few scholars are examining in any kind of depth. So in, in its current form, the definitions which underlie social work research reflect the context of the times and unacknowledged biases about how such terms as evidence, knowledge, and knowing are defined. And perhaps, and this is to get back to this point about why I think there are broader social implications of this, by promoting research largely on the effectiveness of established interventions, which are attempting to ameliorate contemporary social problems, rather than analyzing their structural roots, as we once did, social workers are, inadvertently perhaps, implicitly accepting these problems, such as homelessness, as inevitable, as conditions to be managed 
rather than eliminated. And ironically, this new emphasis contradicts the profession's repeated focus in its rhetoric on social justice and essentially is an acquiescence to the status quo. Now, another irony here is that alternative conceptions of history first emerged in social work at the turn of the 20th century. And in some ways, modern social work itself originated through a counter-historical narrative because it challenged prevailing conceptions of charity, which were based on a hierarchical model of society and proposed an alternative set of goals based on principles of democracy, with a small d, and justice. It promoted environmental rather than individually oriented explanations for human need and a more egalitarian conceptualization, to some extent anyway, of the service relationship itself. So in today's increasingly conservative climate, whatever the rhetoric, and that conservatism is not just in the political arena, it's in the intellectual arena and the cultural arena in our society, and it's certainly reflected in institutions of higher education. It's going to be particularly challenging to develop viable alternatives to the research models which prevail within the dominant master narrative. A key challenge for us, though, is not merely to create new narratives, but to forge a new kind of social discourse, a new context, both contemporary and historical, within which narratives that are different that illuminate things that have previously been kept in the dark makes sense and which we can use these narratives to influence alternative forms of policy making and practice in the future. So by crafting different interpretations of history and informing our research with those different interpretations, we can establish a new set of assumptions and a new set of premises rather than simply reinforce existing rules and existing institutions. So, again, and this is reflective of a long-standing practice within social work, our primary task is to pose different questions. And that's true of us in practice, in policy advocacy, and in research, to pose different questions, not to prescribe or replace one form of rhetoric with another by posing different questions, by challenging prevailing assumptions, including those about history, and look what's happening all across the country in attempts to rewrite American history and the Constitution. We'll be open to the development of alternative frameworks for research and alternative kinds of theories to inform our practice. By posing different research questions, we can begin to clarify the ambiguities in our fundamental concepts and in our vocabulary. We can begin to reconcile the gap between our rhetorical mission and the reality of our practice. And ultimately, and this is why I'm still doing all this stuff, we could take a step toward the formation of new alliances and develop new allies in the pursuit of social justice, which more than ever, I think, is a worthy goal. Well, you've presented a very thought-provoking analysis that has covered 
well over a hundred years of social work history. You've shared many thoughtful insights, including comments on aspects of our profession's history that are often not critically examined. It is clear that your remarks come from a perspective of social justice, and that undergirds all of your comments, which makes for very, very rich content. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners today? Well, just that I would love to hear with any, from any of the listeners about any of the ideas that they have or any questions or challenges. For me, I, I have a coffee cup on my desk that has a quote from Michelangelo that says, I am still learning. And I feel that way. That's one of the things that keeps me interested in this field, the fact that I have the opportunity, uh, the privilege through my work to keep learning. And the more I learn, um, the more questions I have. And I hope that that questioning attitude is something that I can maintain and that perhaps others will adapt as well, because I think that that's absolutely critical for our efforts, whether it's as researchers or practitioners um, in any form with individuals, communities. And the more I travel internationally, the more questions I have and the more uncertainty I have. And I think that while uncertainty is sometimes a difficult um, attitude to maintain, I think it's absolutely critical if we're going to uh, stay open to the changes which are occurring so rapidly around us. So I want to thank you, Hillary, for your thoughtful questions, for your careful reading of the material, and um, for your, your courtesies uh, throughout this whole interview. Oh, and thank you. I will certainly be using your material in our required history and policy course that we will be keeping here at University of Buffalo. Okay, well, I hope I would love to hear how the students react to it. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. I know you have many other priorities and things that you need to get to, but this has certainly been a privilege to speak with you today, and I've enjoyed it. I've learned a lot from your remarks. Thank you, Hillary. All the best. All right. Take care. You've been listening to Dr. Michael Reich discuss historical narratives and their impact on social work research on Living Proof. Hi, I'm Nancy Smith, Professor and Dean at the University at Buffalo School of Social Work. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about who we are, our history, our programs, and what we do, we invite you to visit our website at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu. At UB, we are living proof that social work makes a difference in people's lives.